have your Bibles. We're in the middle of the series on the mission statement here at the Oaks Church, experiencing an authentic faith journey rooted in truth. Say it with me, experiencing an authentic faith journey rooted in truth. Today we're talking about what it means to be authentic. It's a buzzword in many churches, especially younger churches. The younger generation is so sick and tired of phoniness, they're desperate for authenticity, for people to take off their everything's fine with me and my mask and get real. They're looking for a place where they can get real. If they sense at all that you're something other than what you're presenting yourself to be, they're turned off. And rightly so. Rightly so. We need, I, I was thrilled to death when I saw this mission statement. Authenticity is critical of mine. I prayed about my son Josh. The highest compliment I ever got in my life was at our 15th anniversary back at Wedgwood. And Sunday night I started to preach and Kay came up and I knew I was in trouble. And so they spent the whole hour roasting the preacher, this kind of thing. But my son and my daughter spoke and my son got up and he struggled uh, for years and years And uh, he got a few digs in on his dad. And then he said to my congregation, I want you to know that my dad is the real deal. That what you see is what you get. He is the same at home as he is here at church. And I will take that to my grave as the highest compliment I think I've ever gotten by any human being. The real deal. God wants authenticity. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2 again, but keep your Bibles open because we're not going to park here very long, but just to get started, Acts chapter 2, where we began last week, the early church, when it was birthed, on its birthday, verses 42 through 47. Before we get into the Word, have anybody here heard the story of the Velveteen Rabbit? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I see just a few hands of the Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen Rabbit, this stuffed little bunny, came to a little boy's house one day as a Christmas present. For a few hours, as happens, the boy played with him and then left him for some of his other toys. Thrown into the toy box, right next to the leather horse who was very old and wise. The horse had survived for years, even though torn and tattered, through a succession of mechanical toys with batteries and all this kind of thing. One day the Velveteen Rabbit asked the horse, What is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you? The horse responded, Real isn't how you're made. It's something that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, then you become real. Does it happen all at once, he asked, like being wound up or bit by bit? Oh, it takes a long time, said the horse. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been rubbed off and your eyes drop out and you get very shabby, but these don't matter at all because you are real. You can't be ugly except to people who just don't understand. Well, time went by. And one night, almost by accident, the boy's mother put the velveteen rabbit in bed with the little boy. For many nights after that, the boy wouldn't go to sleep without his rabbit. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Sometimes it was hard getting hugged so tight and getting smashed as the boy rolled over, but it was worth it. Being his friend and sharing all the boy's stories and adventures and tears. Time passed and the rabbit was happy. 
He never noticed his fur rubbing off or his tail becoming loose. One night, the boy took the velveteen rabbit outside to play, and when his mother called him to come in, he forgot his rabbit friend. At bedtime, the boy suddenly missed his rabbit, so they went out and found him in the yard, soaked with dew. His mother suggested that the rabbit ought to dry out for the night and called it a silly toy. But the boy responded, Give me my bunny. You mustn't say that. He's not just a toy. He's real. Sometimes getting authentic, getting real with people can hurt. For most of us, Sunday morning is something like this. Maybe the alarm didn't go off so you didn't have time for your post toasties or Cheerios or whatever. If you got little children and they spit it all over their clean dress and now you got to put yesterday's dress and hope it doesn't smell too bad and the kids are fighting and arguing and mom and dad have been speaking civilly for days and you get in your car and you're yanging at each other and you drive in the parking lot, you get out and one of the vehicles come up, how are you doing today? Fine. Am I right? Fine. And you put on your everything's fine with me and mine mask. Charles Dickens said most men live lives of quiet desperation. But we don't want anybody to know so we cover it up like everything's okay. And everything's not okay. The Oaks Mission Statement says experiencing authentic faith journey rooted in the truth. Today, let's see what the Bible has to say about what it means to be authentic. Is this mission impossible or can this happen here at this church? I believe it can. Well, Acts chapter 2, I want to read the text for you, verses 42 through 47. Out of respect for the authority of God's Word, would you stand and follow along in the Scripture you have or the words on the screen? This is God's Word. Hear it with an open heart as I read it for you. It said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods, divided them among, uh, among all as everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Say simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, our hearts are open along with our Bibles. Write on our hearts the truths you want to bring to life within us. May we leave here changed because we've met with the living God in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm beginning to talk about this business of biblical authenticity, first of all with a positive word, then a negative word, and then a positive word, because I want to leave on an up note, okay? First of all, positively, looking at this, it says in verse 26, and that they lived together with not only with gladness, but with simplicity of heart. I've never done a word study on that, so let me try to explain what that word means. I went back and the lexicon said means without stones, but I'm so glad the lexicon went on to explain what it means is no rough edges. Did you remember the velveteen rabbit says it's hard to be real if you break easily, you got sharp edges. The early church lived together with gladness and without rough edges, without stones, without any cause for stumbling. The picture I get, I used to work my way in high school 
to, to get some spending money with a mason as a hod tear. But he would, as he made a driveway or a porch, he would smooth over and smooth over. And I saw those stones in the concrete just simply disappear until you could almost ice skate upon the concrete. It was so smooth. There was nothing to stub your toe on, nothing to cause an offense. The earliest saints of the original church lived together, ate together, worshipped together. They didn't have secrets. They had all things common. They shared life transparently. Did you know the devil loves a secret? Some of you have been keeping secrets, family secrets, for so long you're almost not aware of it anymore. As long as those stones of life, those guilt, are kept secret, the devil uses it to beat us up. Tell you, if these people knew what really had gone on in my life in the past, they'd throw me out of here. Can I say this? No, we wouldn't. Because if we threw out, they'd have to throw me out. They'd have to throw the deacons out. All of us have things in our past, things in our present that bring guilt and shame. And as long as you hide it, as long as you cover it up, it can never be dealt with. And the devil beats you over the head with it. No secrets. And then, unfortunately, when it comes out, as it always does, it's devastating the body. Well, I thought they were together. I thought they were good, solid Christians. And look at this happening. And our kids see it. And they saw us on a pedestal where we pretend to be something we're not. And they're devastated. No wonder they walk away and don't come back when they finally leave home. Please, please don't put me on a pedestal. The fall is too great. I'm a fellow struggler with you. I have issues in my family. I am not the perfect father. Sure, don't ask Kay today, but I'm not the perfect husband. That's why we all need grace. Amen? We all need grace. Well, let me give some examples. It means without stones, without stumbling, without sharp edges. Some example of these stones. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Make a right-hand turn. Hebrews chapter 12, right towards the end of the book, in verse 15. It's a great verse of Scripture, critically important one. It says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of Bitterness springing up caused trouble, and by this many have become defiled. The first stone I want to talk about is the stone of bitterness. We try to cover up, but it's there. And we don't even realize we push people away by a bitter spirit. Bitterness is the insistence on swallowing the poison you meant for your worst enemy. Bitterness is the hard-hearted refusal to forgive those who've wounded you, the holding on to offenses. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's someone you love, and you just can't forgive those people who did what or said what to your children or your grandchildren. Bitterness is playing emotional bumper cars. How many ever went to the fair and rode in the bumper cars? Yeah, I see a few hands, a few more now. Oh, bumper cars are great, aren't they? They're kind of electronically, and you try to control them, but they're hard to control. All of a sudden, bam, someone rubs in behind. You know what you do? You start turning around, chasing them down, so bam, you can get them back. You know what they do? They turn around, bam, they get you back. And before you know it, you're bounced off the guardrails of the bumper house and, and spending your whole time not driving around in front, but getting each other back. 
The whole world is struggling with this gotcha last game. The Hatfields and the McCoys in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. The Protestants versus the Catholics in Ireland. Gotcha back. Well, we'll blow up a bomb. The Shiites and the Sunnis in the Middle East. Donald and Hillary in the presidential race. He said that. Well, I'll tell him. Everyone gets hurt when you refuse to deal with the stone of bitterness. And you know what happens? The Bible said, we just read it, you fall short of the grace of God. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. What it means is the grace of God, which every one of us need every moment of every day. We squander it. Man, I can't exist a day without God's grace. I can't exist a moment without God's grace as long as I hold on to those bitternesses. As long as I refuse to forgive, the grace of God is cut off from its flow to my heart. How long are you going to hold on to that bitter stone while it destroys your soul and every relationship around you? Today I'm going to ask you at the praise band just sang to come to the altar and let it go. Some of you may say, well, I thought I, I did so long ago. Do you know something? This business of forgiveness is kind of like taking out the trash. Once is not enough. It's got to be done every day. And hopefully the depth of bitterness is not as deep as it once was, but you have to confess it again and again. You have to lay it on the altar again and again. The stone of, uh, of bitterness, the second stone. Turn back to Acts chapter, uh, the book of Acts in chapter 5, the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. I want to hear those pages ruffled. And verses 1 through 5, you know this story. It's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he went, he gave back, he kept part of it, of the proceeds. And his wife was aware of it and brought a certain part at the apostles' Pete and said, look, we've given everything. I surrender all. And Peter, with the gift of discernment, says, why do you lie to God and the Holy Spirit? And what happened to Ananias? Anybody remember? He died. An hour later, Sapphira comes in. She says, hey, I hope we blessed you with this gift. We gave everything. She died. What if God still worked that way in his church? <laughs> Sometimes we'll say, oh God, but no, there wouldn't be any of us here. We say and we sing, I surrender all. And we hold back this deceit. Don't you think it is time to get real with one another today? That is supposedly what this church is about. Transparency, authenticity. Well, those are some stones that need to be smoothed over, bitterness and deceit. Now I'll give you some negative examples what authenticity is not. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, left-hand turn, chapter 6 rather. It's the Sermon on the Mount as most of you know. Matthew chapter 6. I'll get there in a minute. And verses 1 through 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking about true religion, what it really is, what worship really is. He says, take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Say hypocrites. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue on the corners of the street. They may be seen by men. They already have the reward. And down in verse 16, it talks about when you fast, don't go around with a long, mopey face. What's wrong with you? I'm fasting today. Mm. Aren't I spiritual? He talks about these. The, the word hypocrite is an interesting Greek word. It's a Greek word for actors. You know, in the ancient Greeks, they would get across whatever mood they wanted to get across as an actor by wearing a mask. If they wanted to be happy, they'd have a happy mask. If they wanted to be sad, they had a sad mask. These masks of the ancient Greeks. And, 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 and that's what hypocrite means. It means wearing a mask that is different than what you are on the deep down inside of your heart. Don't be a hypocrite when it comes to, first of all, hypocritical deeds, charitable acts, acts of mercy, ministry, service, letting everyone know how you serve, letting everyone, well, I'm a significant giver in this church. Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher, said, if it weren't for bronze plaques, half the cathedrals in Europe wouldn't have been built. Stained glass windows, gift of the Jones family. This pew is donated by the Smith family. Don't do that as though you're cut above the rest. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand. Hypocritical deeds that abound in our churches. Secondly, hypocritical prayers. What's that about? Let me suggest, it is long, laborious prayers in King James language, as though the Lord only speaks 17th century Shakespearean English. Lord, wouldest thou, couldest thou, shouldest thou, doest whatever. Hypocritical prayers. Where you try to instruct God on theology. Have you ever heard those kind of prayers? Trying to teach God about his own word. Hypocritical deeds, hypocritical prayers. Thirdly, hypocritical fasting. With a pained expression, well, I'm fasting right now. I've sacrificed so much. I, I, I get together with preachers every once in a while, and preachers are bad at this. They'll talk about their ministry and say, well, I surrendered to the call when I was 21. Surrendered to the call. Like being a preacher is such an awful thing. It's such a burden to bear. And I gave up my profitable job and surrendered to the call to become a preacher. Give me a break. Being a pastor, can I let you know, seek it, is the greatest job in the world. I get paid for studying God's Word, for sharing His truth, for watching God change people's lives, and for kissing babies. It doesn't get any better than that, you guys. God privileged me to call me to be a shepherd of His flock, and I love it. That's my sweet zone because I know I'm fulfilling what God called me to be. And what in a business of surrender, I get to be a pastor. So I, even though I'm retired, I can't stay away. That's why I'm here, okay? Phony, fake. So many of us are phony and ingenuous and faking it through life. Like, did anybody here remember Simon and Garfunkel? Poet Laureates of the 60s. I'm not really making it. I'm only faking it. Anyway, did you hear the story about the unemployed man who finally got a job in a zoo and it was explained to him the most popular part of our zoo was the gorilla. 
And the gorilla died last week, and we can't find another one, so I'll tell you what, here's a gorilla suit, you put it on, and eight hours a day you spend in the cage, and you growl at the babies and the children on the other side and scare the ladies, that sounded okay, and so for several weeks he was doing it, scaring the women and the children, growling and grunting, and then one day he turned around and so help me, there was a lion in the cage with him. And all of a sudden he starts screaming, help, help, get me out of here. I'm not a gorilla, I'm really a man, am I save me from this lion? And the lion finally said, shut up, you idiot, or we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> what are you pretending to be that you're not? What suit did you put on today because it's Sunday morning? Take it off and get real before God and get real before the people of God. Let me say this to the people of God in this church. I had one lady tell me, say, I couldn't do that. I said, why not? She said, I'd be afraid people would judge me. People would think ill of me. I pray with all my heart that is not true of this church. Because if we don't love and accept each other with warts and all, we'll never encourage people to be authentic, to be genuine, to be real. When we found out the horrible truth about each other, our attitude should be, oh God, thank you for having grace and mercy towards me and towards my sister and my brother. If this is not a place where tears cannot be shed, where can I go to cry? If this is not a place where I can't share my sins before God and the people of God, where can I go to find forgiveness? If this be not a place where I cannot bring my burdens and bear my soul, where in the world can I go to do just that? Quit playing hypocritical games. Get real. Get authentic. Well, hypocritical deeds, fasting, and prayers. Let me get back on a positive note. Take, turn your Bible to the book of James, another right hand. Turn. Right after the book of Hebrews, book of James, last chapter, verse 5. And verse 16. It says, I tell you what, read this together with me. Together, congregation, there's something when we join our voices together. Together, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confess your sins, confess your trespasses, confess your faults to one another. That you might be healed. Any of you suffering from sickness and you've been praying for healing for so long and it hasn't come, could it be your unwillingness to confess your sins to each other? Well, my sins are between me and God. That's, that's true. But what do you think Jesus meant when he told Peter, Thou art Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I think what he's saying is that I've given to you, my church, the power to free people from the bondage of sin. Power to free people from the bondage of guilt. I found when people come and share their sins and trespasses, and I, as their pastor, say, I hear you, and I'm sorry, but I want you to know God in heaven forgives, and I pronounce you forgiven. There is a freeing that happens. 
a freeing that happens. Look over a page or two to First, First uh, uh, John chapter one, along the same line, and verses five through nine. Some of you are familiar with it. This is the message that we have heard from Jesus and declared to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we're to be like God, God is light and no darkness at all, then there ought to be no sins. We are transparent. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness or in sin, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, what does that mean, walk in the light? It means open, transparently, no secrets. As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You can't really have fellowship with people who are keeping secrets. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, everything's fine with me and mine. It gets to the point where you deceive yourself, and you start to believe the lie. That you're A-OK, I'm fine with God, just me and Jesus, and there's all this bitterness and stones of offense. But if we confess, that means to express out our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from almost all of our unrighteousness, right? All unrighteousness. But you've got to confess. You've got to share it. The Catholics go to confessional. We're Protestants. And so we come to church hiding the sins that are depleting our spiritual energy. Jesus says, what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What happens when our kids find out reality, they're disillusioned and they walk away from the faith? All of us are struggling in sin every day. I need an amen about how. Especially me. I thought I was doing okay. You guys don't know, but one of the habits of my flesh that God has had to break me of is a competitive spirit, wanting to win. I'm not the best athlete, but nobody's going to out-hustle me. I'm not the brightest book on the shelf, but nobody's going to outwork me. Determined. So last Sunday when the Texas Rangers were playing the hated Toronto Blue Jays, the dudes who kicked us out of contention for the World Series, and in that fateful seventh inning when our shortstop committed three errors and finally culminated with Joey Bautista, the home run king, smacking a home run and staring at our bench and flipping the bat like, hmm, and slowly walks around the bases. All winter long, we've harbored that resentment. So the Toronto Blue Jays come to town. And last Sunday, it's the seventh inning. And the pitcher, whether it's told to or not, plunks him on the shoulder. Get that sucker. And Joey bats this big braggadocio Toronto Blue Jay outfielder. Looks, stares from down. Second base. Sure enough, a slow hopper to the shortstop who flips the second baseman. And Bautista comes and nearly breaks Rugi Odor's legs. Automatically double play because of the new rules. Because somebody broke his leg last fall in a hard slide in the second base. And Bautista jumps up and pushes. And what Ruggie Ordo do? Cold cocked that sucker. Yeah! And I'm watching. Oh, baby, did you see that? Again, let's see it again. Slow motion. And everybody's like, oh, man, way to go, Ruggie! 
And that kept me going all weekend long. Tuesday morning, I go into our six o'clock men's prayer breakfast at Rise and Shine. The first thing, do you guys see Odor Clock, Joey Bats? Oh, man, I know he's going to get suspended, but all of the ever, we're talking, yeah, oh, he turned his head around on a swivel. I'm exulting in all of that. And then I lead the Bible study about the flesh, the natural habits. And I end up crying in my oatmeal. God, I thought I dealt with that. How can I, a Christ follower, said, turn the other cheek and love your enemies, exult in glory in violence against our admitted enemies? I apologize to you as your interim pastor for being such a lousy witness for the Savior. Will you forgive me? I need forgiveness. But you've got to confess. You can't hold it in. Well, I hope the video's working. Because I want to conclude this with a song that I can't sing, but it's one of Bill and Gloria Gaither's Homecoming. And it has to do with this business of confession. Guys, can you cue it up and see, douse the lights a little bit and see if the video will work? Yes. Sound. He's talking about being a little boy and he stole a toy. Couldn't tell anyone. My mother came in, oh, after about a day of suffering. She had seen it sort of welling up on me, you know, how moms are. And she, so I couldn't get it out. I couldn't come clean. And so she establishes this little thing in our family called chat. When you say chat, then you can tell the truth. And there'll be no boom to fall, just the arms of God. But you've got to tell it all, the whole thing. Hide nothing. And that's what this song is about. was a boy who stole him a toy from a bin at the five and dime. Wasn't too long before he knew it was wrong and lamented deep down his dark cry. He suffered in silence, ashamed of himself, afraid of the wrath of God. He was convinced he was heading for hell Or a life behind bars on this saw When his mama come in To his room full of fears And her eyes said it's time for a chat And he made his confession In sorrow and tears As she held him so close on her lap And swore she heard Angels clap You know there's nothing So bad You can't confide in me love No heartache Or lasting regret Nothing so sad 
that you've tried to be free of that I won't forgive and forget because I love you I do oh I love you it's true yes I love you I do One rainy morning, before a baby was born, a wife of five years fell apart. Through sobs that just choked, a dam finally broke. She told her husband the ache of her heart. Before I met you, when I was in school, well, I fell mighty hard for this guy. He was trouble, I know. Friends called me a fool But I would not let go of the lie When we finally broke up I was three months along Afraid and ashamed and confused I borrowed some money I know it was wrong But I could not see clear what to do God knows I'm so sorry. Do you? Do you? Oh, darling, come here, come here. There's nothing <laughs> so bad you can't confide in me, love. No heartache or lasting regret. Nothing so sad that you've tried. To be free of that I won't forgive and forget Because I love you, I do Oh, I love you, it's true I love you, I do Most of our life We bleed from a knife That cuts from the inside out Push down the lid And keep those scars hid Act like we're having to die Now and again A memory slips in Of a moment that filled us with shame When we could have should have, in retrospect, would have, but didn't, and that's really quite plain. Somewhere on the journey, we need to get quiet and turn off the comfort of noise, confess what we've done, not try to deny it to the maker of all girls and boys. Hear him say as his angels rejoice. And he says it to everybody, everybody, no exceptions. There is nothing so bad you can't confide in me, love. No heartache or lasting regret. There's nothing. 
nothing so sad that you've tried to be free of that I won't forgive and forget because I love you I do I love you it's true yes I love you I do you bet <laughs> Does God love you today? The answer is you bet. But you've got to get free through confession. As the instrumentalists come, Father, have your way now in this invitation time. Show us how to respond. Call us to the altar to leave here clean and new and refreshed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand quietly with me right now? praise team is going to sing a familiar hymn of imitation I'm going to invite you to join me at the altar come and kneel confessing your sins to God I'm standing here as your interim shepherd I'd be glad to pray with you some of you need healing I brought oil with me today look I'm not Pentecostal but I am charismatic it's Bible come as the Lord leads confessing your sins come come